So I want to welcome everybody to the master's class here at Life Change Church. Life Change Church. And we are in the book of Genesis, chapter 17. We're going to be in the same verses we were in last week, verses 15 through 17. And we're going to be talking about there is no problem God cannot solve. There is no problem God cannot solve. Now, I said this earlier, but all those people who made me stop last week and wanted to hear the second part, and they're not here this week, they're going to miss all this, right? Anyway, but just because a little bit of cold out there, they decided to stay home. And I'm going to give Faye a lot of heat when, when she comes back next week. So today we're going to continue our lesson on how to be strong in your faith. I said last week that we were going back into God's school of faith, and I said that it is a school that most of us will never graduate from because we'll spend our entire life learning to truly have the kind of faith that God wants us to have. And that is true for me. Is it true for you guys? You guys graduated from the school of faith yet? Not, not yet? Okay. So the main focus of our lesson today is going to be on the biblical faith anchoring truth that there is nothing, nothing too hard for God. This truth is critical to our faith and that we know that God can do anything that he says that he will do. Now last week I said there were four wonderful, wonderful truths that I wanted you to learn in these two lessons. And I hope you'll not miss them. And I want you to get these four things about a strong faith emblazoned in your heart and etched upon your consciousness. And I, and I want them to reverberate through your soul. Because I want for you what I want for me, a strong faith. Now the first of these four truths, I'm going to review just a little bit. I'm not going to spend as much review time as I normally do because i got a lot more I want to cover here today. The first of these four truths is that strong faith releases the grace of God. Faith is the key. It just opens a door and it gets you in there where grace is or it gets grace out here where you are. You see, it is so important that you know the grace of God. However, it is faith that releases the grace of God. And the second truth is that strong faith relies on the guarantees of God. Strong faith always relies on God's guarantees, God's promises that we find in the Bible. It does not rely on you or on what you wish or what you want, but on what God has said. You see, all of this faith, all faith is, is rooted in the knowledge of God's will and God's promises. Without this, there can be no faith. Now, the third truth is that strong faith recognizes the greatness of God. So true faith is rooted in the promise, but not only in the promise, but in the one who promised. You cannot really trust a promise unless you know who made that promise. You see, you have to go beyond the promise to the one who makes the promise. And so if you are to have faith, not only must you have the word of God and a word from God, you must also understand the character of God who gives this word. And we had lots of examples last week of people you don't trust making you a promise and they don't follow through. You have to have belief in the one who makes the promise. Now I want to start today, see that's my full review, so that's really short. 
So I want to start today with this most important part of God's greatness that we can apply to our hearts and lives. And it is the foundational truth that we need to understand that our faith is based on. I want us to understand that there is no problem God cannot solve. No problem. None. That God cannot solve. You will never have to say that something is just too difficult for God to do in your life. No problem that you have is beyond God's power to control. It is that truth that lets the peace of God rest in our hearts, for we have the omnipotent, the omniscient, and the omnipresent God who can solve any issue and any problem that we might face as we serve the living, loving God of all creation. Amen? Amen. Amen. You guys are going to have to speak extra loud and make up for all those people who are missing here today, all right? Amen? Amen. All right, there we go. Now, in order to set the stage for this lesson, I want to review where we are in the story of Abraham in this 17th chapter of the book of Genesis. We start in verses 15 through 17. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed, and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is 90 years old, fair. So God tells Abraham, who is 100 years old, that you're going to have father a son. You're going to father a son. Now, we've talked about Sarah laughing within herself as she heard the angels telling Abraham the same thing in chapter 18. But I want you to notice how Abraham reacted right here in verse 17. It says what? Then Abraham fell upon his face and did what? He laughed. And he said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? Now, that's a question that Abraham's asking, and he's really a, a question of wonder. But the answer to that question is found in chapter 18, verse 14. And it says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, at the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Now listen, if this verse is not underlined and starred in your Bible, then it should be. Don't you just love a verse that says there's not anything too hard for God to do in your life? Oh my goodness, what a wonderful, powerful verse this is. I'm going to say amen again. Amen, all right? Now, then we read in chapter 21 of the book of Genesis, verses 1 through 3, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. Imagine that. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. Now notice what it says. And the Lord visited to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. Now, that is just amazing, isn't it? That somebody would actually do what they said they were going to do, right? Now, God did just what He said He would do. Imagine that. God did what He said He would do. 
Now, Paul tells us even more about this event. He tells Abraham in Romans 4, 17, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Now, notice how great Abraham saw God being. Paul says this about Abraham's faith on God's promise that he would have a son and be the father of many nations. He says, before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead. Now, do you see it there? Do you see it? And calleth those things which be not as though they were. Now, what does all that mean? Well, it just simply means that, dear God, you are the God of resurrection. You quicken the dead. That means you make them alive and you are the God of creation, and you bring something out of nothing. Something out of nothing. Now, Sarah's womb is dead, and God says that a great nation is going to come out of her. But there is no nation. No nation. So Abraham says, so God, you're the God of resurrection, and you're the God of creation, and you can do what you say you can do. Now, what the Bible is saying here, and what I want to impress upon your heart, is that you have to see something of the character of God, the greatness of God. And when you do, that increases your faith. And that is one of the great reasons for Bible study and getting to know the character of God through that study. See, Abraham was faced with two impossibilities on that day. Now, his first impossibility was this, that he could have a child. He couldn't. He couldn't have a child. I mean, that was impossible at that point in his life. He was 100 years old when God told him this, and Sarah was 99 years old. It was just impossible. So that is the first impossibility that Abraham was faced with. But then he was faced with another impossibility, that God might lie. So there he is saying, I got these two impossibilities. One is a human impossibility, and one is a divine impossibility. So what does he do? Well, now, in math, if you have two negatives and you're trying to put them together, what do you do? You cross out the negatives and you make it a positive, right? Right? And, and so Abraham just says, well, I'm going to have to cross out the human impossibility. Amen? Yeah, I'm just going to cross out the human impossibility. So that's one negative that you cross out. And then he says, I'm just going to have to understand that God cannot lie. So that's the divine impossibility. And that's the other negative that you cross out. And what does that do? That leaves us with a positive. So then Abraham says, I'm going to cross these two impossibilities out and just say that God will do what he said he would do. Because with God, all things are possible. There is nothing too hard for God. Charles Spurgeon said, look at yourself and doubts will increase. Look at Jesus and they will disappear. Isn't that something? Now, the first thing that I want to say about this truth, that there is no problem God cannot solve, is the majesty of God's limitless power. Now, I want you to get that in your mind. The majesty of God's limitless power. So God asked Abraham, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And of course, if you don't already know the answer, let's just go to Jeremiah and let him give us the answer. Jeremiah 32 Verse 17, it says, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arms, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Now, I just love the answer to that question. 
And that is, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And Jeremiah says, no, Lord, there's nothing. There is nothing too hard for thee. And you know what Jeremiah did? He just used a little bit of logic. He said, God, you made everything. Now, if you make everything, then you can certainly control it all. Now, some people have difficulty with miracles. Listen, if you can get by Genesis 1-1, then uh, you'll never have another difficulty with miracles, right? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you get past that first verse in the Bible and you say, I believe that one, then the answer to anything else and the whole rest of it is just simply, there is nothing too hard for God. Now, put it down big, straight, and plain. If God has not worked in your life, if God has not worked mightily in your situation, it is not because He is unable to do so. There's another reason. Now, the second thing that I want to say about this truth, that there is no problem God cannot solve, is that there is no promise too hard for God to fulfill. Not only do I want you to know about the majesty of God's limitless power, but I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is no promise too hard for God to fulfill. There is no promise too hard for God to fulfill. None. Do I need to say it again? None. Right. Do you know how many promises there are in the Word of God? Now, I haven't counted them. And computers can tell us a whole lot of things, but somebody said that there are over 30,000 promises in the Bible. And every one of them is yea and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. So God tells us that there is no promise too hard for Him to fulfill. And I want you to think of the promises of God and listen to these verses. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that He should lie, neither the Son of Man that He should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? That is, he is not a man that will tell a lie, nor is he a man that will change his mind. Look at what it says. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither is he the son of man that he should repent. Now that word repent means that he would say one thing and then say, well, you know, I'm sorry, I've changed my mind. God is telling us that He is not a man or the Son of Man that He might ever, ever change His mind. And then He goes on to say, Hath He said, and shall He not do it? Or hath He spoken, and shall He not make it good? So what does this verse tell us? It tells us if God says He will do it, then you can bank on it. God cannot lie. And we find the same thing in Titus 1-2. It says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie, promised before the world began. It is absolutely, totally, irrevocably impossible for God to tell a lie, and God says that there is nothing too hard for Him to do. Now those who apply a little bit of logic might ask, well, Keith, if there is nothing too hard for God to do, then can't God tell a lie? If there's nothing too hard, can't God tell a lie? Well, the answer is, of course not. It's not that it's too hard for him to tell a lie. It is that it is absolutely, totally contrary to his nature. God will not, cannot tell a lie. So I heard a, a story a long time ago about a Christian lady who loved God with all of her heart. And she had been talking about the Lord and giving her testimony about the Lord and how sweet it is to trust the Lord God. 
and how wonderful it was to stand on his promises and all of this, just like I've been doing here this morning. And someone, just taunting her, said, well, grandmother, suppose after you die, you find out that you're not saved after all. You find out that God did not keep his word to you and that you are lost and that you will slip into hell. Suppose after you die, you lose your soul. Now that's a technical question, isn't it? Yeah. Well, she said, if I lose my soul, God will lose more than I lose. And the person said, what? How is that? And she said, I might lose my soul, but God will lose his honor. God will lose his glory. God cannot lie. And the question that God asks is to prove that it is true. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Now listen, there is no promise that God cannot keep. If it is in His holy word, and if God has promised it, then you can take it to the bank and bank on it. Now the next thing that I want you to see is that there is no prayer too hard for God to answer. Not only is there no promise that God cannot keep, there is no prayer too hard for God to answer. Not once. Not once. Jeremiah asked, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And God responded by telling Jeremiah in Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things, which thou knowest not. Now, I told you I wasn't going to need my fan, but I'm sitting up here sweating. I'm, I'm telling you. I, I, I'm working up uh, uh, steam here now. And uh, the fire is going to start coming out here in a little bit. Okay. All right. Yeah. So you guys need to sit a little closer because the hot air is coming. Okay. All right. So call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. So God is telling Jeremiah that there is no prayer that is too hard for God. Jesus Christ said in Matthew 21, 22, and all things, not some things, all things, whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Now people misinterpret this all the time. I'm not going to go into explaining all of it, but I'm going to say enough of it here. Jesus says all things, meaning that anything that you can believe God for, you can have. There is no prayer too hard for God to answer. Almighty God is not limited by circumstances. John Newton wrote, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. So what a mighty God we serve. There is nothing, nothing that lies beyond the reach of prayer, and listen to me what I say next, except that which lies outside the will of God. There is no prayer too hard for God to answer. We do not get to control God, put Him in a box, and say, God, you got to do this just because I, I told you to. God is God, and if it's outside the will of God for you, God's not going to do it. Period. All right? Now, so... There is no prayer that is too hard for God to answer. Then next, there is no problem too big for God to solve. Not a one, not a single problem. Psalms 37, verses 3 through 5 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fit. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So this is telling us that there is no problem, no problem, I'll say it again, no problem, no problem, 
that is too big for God to solve. You might ask, well, Brother Keith, do you have any problems? Only when I'm asleep or awake. Now, sure, I have problems. And you have problems. I'll bet you guys all have problems, too. You guys all have problems? Yeah, I do. We all have problems. But I want to say that God is the God that answers by fire, by power, by grace, by love. Andre Crouch wrote, if I'd never had a problem, I wouldn't know God could solve them. I thank him for the storms he brought me through. Now, that's, that's a true statement, isn't it? Amen. Now, when God solves your problem, he may not solve it in the way you think that he ought to solve it. Imagine that. How many times do you pray to God and say, God, this is just exactly the way I want you to solve my problem? And how many times has God solved it in another way, right? Sometimes God's ways are mysterious, and the solution may be different than you think, but God, God tells us in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So this tells us that God works differently than the way we work. For example, God works on a different thought level than we work on. We say, well, God, you ought to do it this way. But God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. God just works on a different thought level. Sometimes we think, you know, if I were God, then this is what I would do. And God is very patient with us. And he says, well, that's really nice. Now here's what I'm going to do, right? Isn't that the way it usually comes out? We tell God what we think you ought to do, and he says, that's nice, but now here's what I'm going to do, right? Now, there was a little boy, and he was sitting under an oak tree, and as he looked up at that mighty oak tree, he saw just that little bitty acorns that were up there in that oak tree. Then he looked down on the ground, and he saw a watermelon vine, and a great big watermelon was on that watermelon vine. And he said, now, you know, that doesn't make sense. God didn't do this right. He put the little bitty acorn in that great big oak tree, and then he put the big old watermelon on this little bitty vine. You'd think it'd be the other way around. The watermelons ought to be on the oak tree and the acorns on the vine. And about that time, an acorn fell and hit him on the head. And he said, you know, now that I think about it, I'm glad it wasn't a watermelon. So God doesn't work according to what we do or according to what we think. Not only does God work on a different thought level from us, he also works on a different time level. You see, we live in time and God lives in eternity. And sometimes we are very antsy and we say, God, I want you to solve my problem and I want you to solve it right now. But with God, timing is far more important than time. And God will do what he wants, when he wants. And he'll never be ahead of time, and he'll never be late. And listen, there is no problem that God cannot solve. And I want to tell you that not only does God work on a different thought level and a different time level, but God works also on a different technique level. So many times we try to tell God how to solve the problem, and God does it 180 degrees different than what we would do. When the Apostle Paul was at that time named Saul, and he was persecuting the church, and he was having Christians arrested, and he was hauling them off to jail, and many of them were killed. Now, I can imagine that the early church was praying, God, do something about this man Saul. He is decimating the church, oh God. I want you to strike him dead. But God didn't strike him dead. He struck him alive. And I mean God saved him, and he became 
a mighty apostle. So when we want God to do something, we think, God, why don't you just kill the devil? But God doesn't kill the devil. Instead, he puts his son on the cross. God thinks differently than we would think. When the children of Israel were out there in the wilderness and they were being bitten by poisonous serpents, they might have prayed, God, get rid of all these snakes. But God didn't get rid of the snakes. He lifted up a brazen serpent on a pole and said, look and live. You see, what God did was to raise up a solution in the midst of all that pollution. And we might say, God, oh God, do something about these politicians that we have today. Man, we've got a really mess in Washington, D.C., don't we? These politicians. God, do something about Hollywood. Oh God, do something about the liquor business. Oh, oh God, do something about the pornography business. And you know, maybe God just wants to do something completely entirely different than you and I think he wants to do with these problems. You know, I have kind of an idea that God wants to do something with us to deal with those problems. I have an idea that that is where God wants to move, is in the heart of man. Because we're never going to solve the world's problems by talking to people. It is God making changes in people's hearts. You see, there's no problem too big for God to solve. There's no prayer too hard for God to answer. There's no promise too hard for God to keep. And Lord God, there is nothing too hard for thee. I'll tell you something else. There is no person too hard for God to save. Not a one. Oh, my, 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 my. No person that is too hard for God to save. Anybody. And I mean anybody who wants to be saved can be saved. The Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now that word, whosoever, is translated from a Greek word. It's really complicated. You know what it means? Whosoever. Right. Whosoever. Yeah, it means whosoever. And I don't care what they have done or who they are. There is no person too hard for God to save. Isaiah 118 says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. And though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now, so they be blood red, God can make your sins snow white. Snow white. Amen. 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 Now, do you ever look at some people and say, Man, they're just beyond redemption? I'm going to tell you, you need to be very careful about saying that. Now, I heard a pastor telling, this is a true story about a men's meeting that they had at their church. And that little group of men got together and they said, well, we need to have a revival in our city. We need to have a revival in our church. And, and another man said, okay, you know, I've been reading in a book that the way to have revival in the city is to get the meanest, most wicked man in the city saved, and that will touch the city. And the pastor thought about that for a minute and said, well, that's a wonderful thing, sounds like a wonderful thing uh, to do. And then he asked, well, how do you get the meanest man saved? And they said, well, you begin to pray for him, and you pray for him, and then you witness to him. And the pastor said, well, that sounds like a good plan to me, but we've got a problem. Who is the meanest man in our city? And so they had an election. Different people made nominations. 
Now they had a lot of good candidates. But finally they settled on a man that had ever that everybody had determined was the meanest man in the city. And that, that he, he was the man most unlikely to be saved, and he was the meanest man that was in their city. And this man was a notorious man. I mean, he was a barroom brawler, he was a drunkard, he was a moonshiner, he was a pistol fighter, he was a man living in an immoral relationship. He was absolutely, totally fearless. On one occasion, he stole a hog out of the back of the game warden's truck. Now, on another occasion, he had a gunshot wound because a woman had shot him, and the bullet had lodged in his hip. Now, the reason that the woman shot him was she was jealous. This man had been spending too much time with his own wife, and she was jealous of that. Okay? Yeah. This woman shot him because he was paying too much attention to his wife. Well, you know, I think you get the picture here that this was one mean son of a gun, right? Now, and so they prayed for this man. They met and they prayed for him morning after morning after morning after morning, and they saturated this man in prayer. And finally he said, well, it's time to go talk to him. And they said, well, now who's going to go talk to him? Now remember who this guy is. And they all started looking around. He said, well, I think the pastor ought to go talk to him. Yeah, isn't that the way it always is, right? That's, that's, that's what we pay that pastor for, right? That way we give him this exorbitant salary. He needs to go talk to that guy. So the pastor needs to go. And so the pastor made up his mind. He said, okay, I'll go and I'll talk to this man. Now remember, this was the man who won the election for being the meanest man in the city. He was absolutely the meanest man in town, and the pastor was going to go talk to him about God and salvation. So the pastor, he went by the house where the meanest man in the city lived. And the pastor knocked on the door, and his wife came to the door, and he said, I'm so-and-so, I'm a Baptist preacher, and I've come to see this man. And she says, oh, no, you don't want to see him. And the pastor said, well, no, I really want to see him. Is he here? And she said, well, he is here, but they're in the back room, and they're drinking, and they're fighting, and they're gambling. You really don't want to go back there. And so the pastor got to thinking about it. He said, you know, I really don't. I'll just see you guys later. And so he just left. Now, it was kind of an intimidating thing to think about going back in that back room, right? I mean, that was the man's own wife. And she said, you know, pastor, you really don't want to go back there. You really don't. And so the pastor got to thinking about it. And he asked himself, well, am I afraid? Am I chicken? And he asked, do I really not trust the Lord? in order to take care of me while I go back there and do his work. And so the pastor goes, he, he goes back to the men in the church, and they begin to pray some more. You know, if I'm going to go in that room, I better have some more prayer with, with me, right? And so uh, they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed some more. And then the pastor went back to the man's house and said, this time I really want to see him. And he walked in, and he looked the man straight in the eye, and he said, sir, I'm pastor so-and-so, and I've been praying for you, and I want you to be saved. May I tell you how to become a child of God and be saved? And the man paused for a moment, and then he said, Yes, sir, you sure can. Ooh, God's working. And the pastor presented Jesus Christ to him and then asked, Would you like to be saved? And the man answered and said, Oh, yes, sir, I would. And the pastor said, Would you pray this prayer after me? And he said, Yes, sir, I will. And the pastor led him in the sinner's prayer, and the man just fell off in his hand like a ripe apple. 
and just gave his heart to Christ just like a little boy would trust Christ as his personal Savior. Now, the pastor said that he had never been able to forget that. That was the meanest man in town, the man everybody was afraid of. Everybody was saying, well, that's the man who's bound to be going straight to hell. Hey, there is no hope for this man. But he had been softened by prayer, by more prayer, and by more prayer. And listen, there is no man, no man, no woman, no boy, no girl that is too hard for God to save. If that person will just yield his or her heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now that's a true story. Now you guys were looking for the joke at the end of that, but there wasn't. Uh, it was just the power of God working through on this man. And so what I've been talking about is the majesty of God's limitless power. And we have said that there is no problem that God cannot solve, that there is no person he cannot save. There is not a person he cannot save. Anybody who will come to him in repentance and faith, he will save. So when we combine Jeremiah 32, 17 and Genesis 18, 14, get all, Lord God, is there anything too hard for thee? And the answer is, there is nothing too hard for the Lord. All right, let me get on to the final point because I may have to extend this lesson if I don't get going here real quick. And we'll have part three out of all this, right? So, let me go on to the final point in this lesson on strong faith. And I hope you're catching what the Bible says about Abraham. First of all, he says that strong faith releases God's grace. Then secondly, he says that strong faith relies on God's guarantee. That sure promise. And then he says, thirdly, that strong faith recognizes God's greatness. God is a God who raises the dead and makes something out of nothing. That is the kind of God that we are praying to. There is nothing too hard for God. So here's the final thing about Abraham's faith. Not only does it do that, but strong faith also reveals the glory of God. It reveals the glory of God. Romans 4.20 says, He staggered not, meaning Abraham, staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now, this tells us that Abraham was strong in faith giving glory to God. How would you like to glorify God? How would you like to really glorify God in your life? Let me tell you that the greatest way that you can glorify God is to believe Him. There is no greater way to glorify God than to believe what God says. People do all kinds of things to glorify God. They build buildings to glorify God. They give their money to glorify God. They read their Bibles to glorify God. They pray to glorify God. Sometimes they even disfigure themselves to glorify God. And they make pilgrimages. And they make all kinds of sacrifices. But if you want to please God and glorify God, then believe Him. Just believe Him. Strong faith reveals the glory of God. Now, suppose you were talking about me with somebody else off in a restaurant someplace. You know, like after church, and you guys go to a restaurant at the local buffet, and you start thinking about things that happen to church. You know, you say, that Keith, he does this, and he does this, and he does this. And all those things are fine about him, but there's one thing about old Keith. You just can't believe a word he says. You can't believe it. Now, I don't care how many good things you've said about me. If you slip that into your conversation, if you say, in spite of all those things, you just can't believe me, 
you just cut the taproot of my character, right? Now the Bible says in 1 John 5, 10, He that believeth on the Son of God hath a witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. So you can sit in a church like this, and you can sing holy, 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 and Lord God Almighty, and God is great, and God is good, and God is glorious, and all of these things, but if you don't believe God, then you've made God a liar. Listen, there is nothing that reveals the glory of God more than your faith in God. The Bible says that faith honors God. Faith honors God. In Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And when you, with all of your heart, believe God, that gives God such glory. And since faith honors God, God honors faith. Paul is talking about the faith of Abraham when he says that he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now when you are strong in faith, you give glory to God. Now faith supports praise, and praise supports faith. When you give glory to God, even before it happens, that helps it to happen. You see, if you're having difficulty with faith, then just begin to praise God. Pastor Ron Dunn put it this way. He said, faith makes praise shout. And when faith hears the shout of praise, it in turn grows stronger and bolder. So put this truth in your heart. Strong faith reveals the glory of God. Now, all these things are marks of a strong faith, and I'm getting ready to be finished here. I'm going to be close to being on time, okay? Brother John won't yell at me too much today. So, but let me make it real clear. Now, I hope I can sum up both week's lessons just real quick here. Listen to me. Now, God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90. It was humanly ridiculous, so much so that Abraham left, laughed. Abraham laughed, and yet he turned, and he believed God. How did he do it? Well, first of all, he said, you know, I know, God, that you want to do it by your sheer grace. And so by faith, I'm going to release that grace. Faith releases grace. It relies on God's Word. It doesn't look for anything else. It just simply takes the Word of God and gets a word from God. And then thirdly, the faith that relies on God relies on God because it knows God's character. It just simply is aware of who God is and what God can do. And therefore, it just glorifies God. It simply says, God, I want to give you the praise. I'm going to give you the glory. I'm not going to stagger at in unbelief. Now, if you'll do that, then God will make you a person of strong faith. And there is no problem too hard for God to solve. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right.